Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, grab a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you can find that on page 1014. We've started this new series through Peter's first letter, and I mentioned last week that some of my hopes as we go through this book are for us to see some challenging truths that perhaps we might naturally tend to avoid, for us to see further examples of how the Old Testament points to and informs the New Testament, and also for us to see how the Lord desires us to handle suffering both the suffering that comes from the brokenness of this world and the suffering that comes directly as a result of following Jesus. And as we move forward this morning, something that I have come to realize is that so much of life comes down to our perspective. So many situations are, are open to interpretation, and it really just depends on how we look at it. So for example, you could ask, is, is five minutes a long time? Well, it depends, right? If you're trying to hold your breath, five minutes feels like an eternity. But if you're talking to your best friend that you haven't seen forever, it it goes by just like that. Or you could ask, is this piece of chocolate cake very good? You'd say, well, you know, it's good. Compared to a, a cake that I might make, it's probably really good. Compared to a cake that Rebecca made, it's probably not so good, right? It all just depends on your perspective. Right? And so, so often the way that we process life really comes down to our perspective. And this morning, Peter is going to give us a framework that provides the perspective that we should have as we endure the difficulties and sufferings of this life. And so we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 6. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so last week, as we opened this letter, Peter addressed uh, this, this group of churches spread out across the ancient region of Asia Minor, who were experiencing the difficulties that come with following Jesus on top of all of the normal suffering that everyone experiences in this broken world. And we saw that Peter offered them encouragement by reminding them of their privileged status as God's chosen people. And by reminding them that they've been born again to a living hope and have been given an inheritance that is beyond our ability to imagine, that is being kept for us in heaven. And some of you noticed that we stopped in the middle of the paragraph, which is unusual for us, 
Uh, But I mentioned last week that one of the challenges of this letter is that Peter likes to write long, convoluted sentences. And and as it happens, verses 3 through 12 are all actually one long sentence. Now, obviously, that's way too much for us to cover one time. All of our English translations, at least the ones that I'm aware of, break it down into multiple sentences. And so we've broken it down. We took the first part last week, and now we're going to take the second half this morning. But we need to keep verses 3 through 5 in mind as we move forward, because verses 6 through 12 build on them. We're going to keep drawing from them. And so as we pick up again here in verse 6, Peter refers back to this glorious reality that he just described, and he indicates that in this, this group of believers rejoice. Their position as God's chosen people and the new life that he has given to them through the Holy Spirit, the inheritance that they get to look forward to, bring them great joy. And this joy is all the more remarkable because it it is present despite them being in difficult circumstances. In the rest of verse 6, Peter acknowledges that his readers have been grieved by various trials. And so when when Peter talks about grief, he's talking about the, the psychological and even physiological responses that we have when we experience suffering, whether that's sadness or anxiety or depression or any number of other things. And when he refers to various trials, he's making it clear that he's not referring to any one particular thing. These believers are experiencing a variety of challenges, whether they be physical or relational, financial, uh, or or otherwise. And and again, these trials may be the direct result of, of opposition from following Jesus, persecution, Or they may just be part of living in this broken world. Or more likely, they're probably a combination of both. Now, you see that there are a couple of modifiers that Peter uses to describe these trials. And he says, first, they are only for a little while, and that they are also necessary. So first of all, Peter takes these trials that that are grieving these believers, and he says that they are only for a little while. Now, when you read that, you may think to yourself, well, excuse me, Peter, I appreciate your optimism, but but what I'm experiencing right now doesn't seem like it's just for a little while. And that may be true. Perhaps the trial that you're enduring right now has no end in sight. It can be very difficult. But in context, Peter's point is that it's all about perspective, right? It's all about perspective perspective. The Bible doesn't deny that life can be incredibly and, in fact, heart-wrenchingly difficult, but it does put our trials in eternal perspective. You know how they say that time goes by faster as you get older? It's true. It's true. I'm finding this at my old age of 37. I can remember sitting in high school in algebra class and thinking to myself, this is never going to be over. I am never going to get out of here. But now as I look back on it, not only did it fly by, but it seems like a completely different life. And it was, in many ways, a completely different life. And Peter's point here is that in light of eternity, this whole life that encompasses the good and the bad and the ugly is not even a blip on the screen. And church, when we get to eternity, the hardships of this life will be like nothing in comparison. They truly are for a little while. And when we see it that way, when we change our perspective, 
it enables us to experience joy even in the midst of our burdens. Then secondly, Peter says that the trials we experience are necessary. Now, again, you may look at this and you say, necessary? Why on earth would this be necessary? Well, he explains beginning in verse 7. He says that it's necessary so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in the second half of verse 7, you see that Peter compares our faith with gold that perishes even though it is tested by fire. And so in the ancient world, if you were a a metal worker working with gold or, or any precious metal for that matter, that they would melt it down by the heat of a fire. And if someone like me doesn't know any better, they might see that happening and say, no, stop. Like, what are you doing? That's gold. That's really valuable. Why would you melt it like that? But someone who does know, does know better, would be able to respond that exposing gold to intense heat doesn't destroy the value of it. It actually makes it worth even more. You see, as the gold melts under the heat, the impurities in it rise to the surface and can be removed. And as that happens, the gold comes out on the other side even more pure and more valuable than it was before. And in a similar way, Peter is arguing here that the difficulties in our life, the suffering that we endure, are used by God to purify our faith. You see, if we have trusted in what Jesus has done to save us, through his life, death, and resurrection. And the Bible tells us that we have been redeemed, we we have been forgiven of our sin, we have been made new, and yet there is still a great deal of indwelling sin in our hearts that God continues to deal with over the course of our lives in the process of sanctification. And one of the ways that he does that is by purifying us through suffering. I know this is going to shock some of you, but even as a pastor... There is still a great deal of self-centeredness bound up in my heart. And, and nothing causes that to rise to the surface like me not getting what I want, right? Whether it's little things like my kids not cooperating the first time that I asked them to do something, or being cut off in traffic, or perhaps a more moderate thing like a tree falling in my front yard on a Saturday when I'm trying to finish getting ready for church, or more serious things like, like walking through tra- tragedy or, or experiencing uh, the negative consequences of bad decisions, whether they be mine or, or someone else's. Right, anytime something I don't want to happen happens, that heat gets turned up and my, my self-will reveals itself. Right, but this is the key. In those moments, or in those seasons, depending on, on what it is, The Lord gives me opportunities to recalibrate my heart in repentance by remembering that life is not ultimately about me and by remembering the promises that he has given us in his word and then in light of that to seek to cultivate the fruit of the spirit rather than responding sinfully. And over time, not as quickly as I would like to say, but over time, my faith is being purified in ways that it wouldn't be if everything always went my way. And perhaps you can relate to that. Paul Tripp has has said it this way, God will take us where we would never choose to go in order to produce in us what we could never achieve on our own. 
And God will take us where we would never choose to go in order to produce in us what we could never achieve on our own. As we endure suffering, the idols of our heart are exposed. We, we have to acknowledge that we've been looking to things other than God to give us what only God can truly provide, whether that be a, a sense of security or satisfaction or a, a sense of purpose or, or whatever it may be. And if we have the presence of mind to look for them, or if we invite brothers and sisters in our lives to help us see them, then we'll realize, once again, that the Lord is giving us opportunities to repent of our idolatry and to come to know Him in a deeper way as we press into Him under the pressure. And again, little by little, He removes those impurities in our hearts that we would not have dealt with otherwise. And then, as Peter explains at the end of verse 7, on the last day, the genuineness of our faith will result in praise and glory and honor. As we've seen before, the Lord will reward us in heaven for our faithfulness in this life, and the quality of our faith will play a part in that. And so as we endure suffering and our faith is purified, God is actually preparing us to receive eternal benefits. Now, just quickly, Peter refers to this last day as the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is going to be a revelation because as of now, Jesus is in heaven and nobody here can see him. And while it's extremely difficult to have a relationship with someone that you've never seen before or or met in person, Peter in verses 8 and 9 draws out the miracle of our conversion, which is that the Holy Spirit has enabled us to understand the truths about who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and and to respond to that reality with love and faith, which leads to a genuine sense of joy as we trust in him through life's struggles. And we see that all of this leads to the final outcome of our faith, which will be salvation on the day of judgment. And so Peter has put our suffering in eternal perspective, And now he's going to explain our privileged position in redemptive history as we pick up again, beginning in verse 10. He writes, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so as you pick up again in verse 10, Peter turns his attention to the prophets of the Old Testament who who wrote about what God was going to do and now has done to save his people through the Messiah. And he says that they searched and inquired carefully, trying to figure out who the Messiah would be and when he would arrive. And that the phrase searched and inquired carefully communicates an intense attempt to discover more information, to find out more. And there's a certain amount of of mystery here. Like, like what is it like to have God supernaturally revealing things to you? But but whatever that is like and however it happened, as God gave the prophets their message, they they did everything they could to figure out more. They they were trying to find out even more about what God was revealing to them. 
And again, we're, we're reminded here that the Old Testament is designed to point forward and, and inform the New Testament and, and what Jesus has done. But Peter's point here is to draw out our place of privilege. Because what the prophets could only see in part has now been revealed to us in full. You see, the prophets wanted to know the full story, but God only gave them pieces, right? Moses knew that the Messiah would be a Jew from, from the line of Judah. Uh, Jeremiah knew that he would be a descendant of David. David knew that he would be divine. Micah knew that he would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah knew that he would offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of his people. And, and on and on it goes, right? Each of these prophets knew a part of of the story, but none of them could see the full picture, despite their best attempts. In the first half of verse 12, Peter says that it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, the people of their generation, but us, by giving us a framework for, for who the Messiah would be and who he, what he would do, we are now able to recognize Jesus as the one who fulfills all the messianic expectations as we see him through the apostolic testimony of his life and ministry, just like we did as we walked through the book of Luke. All right, so sometimes you may think, wow, wouldn't it have been cool to be with Moses as he led God's people across the Red Sea? And no doubt, it would have been awesome to watch God part the waters. But understand that Peter is saying that Moses would trade places with you because you know the full story. Or, or perhaps you might think that how awesome it would be to have been Elijah and to, to be able to call down fire from heaven. And no doubt, it would have been absolutely amazing to be able to watch that. But again, Peter is insisting that Elijah would have traded places with us because he only knew part of the story, but we have now been, been able to see the story in full. We have the blessing of living in light of the whole story. Some of you may remember in Luke chapter 10 that, that Jesus pulls the disciples aside at one point and he tells them, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I see, while God's people in the Old Testament had to walk through this life in partial ignorance, we can see the whole picture of what God is doing across the span of human history. In other words, we have a perspective that they did not have. Now, I mentioned last week that, unfortunately, for so many of us, especially if we've been in church for most of our lives, we, we've heard this over and over for so long that the effect is largely lost on us. Right? We, we just take this for granted and, and we assume it. If we're honest, it's really not amazing grace anymore. It's just grace. You know, God loves us. He sent Jesus to die for us. One day he's going to make all things new. Crazy weather we've been having, huh? How about those Astros? It doesn't, it doesn't shock us anymore. But church, we know the whole story. We know where this thing is going and how the story ends. And that should impact the way that we play our roles in the story, particularly as, as, it, as it pertains to how we handle the hardships of life. And just to underline the significance of this further, Peter adds at the end of verse 12 that, that the angels long 
to look into this stuff. They, they long to understand the depths of God's grace towards us. Now, now what does that mean? Well, well, frankly, I don't really know what it means. But, but, but apparently, there, there's an element of what God has done and is doing and ultimately will do through Jesus that boggles the minds and the understanding even of the angels. And so perhaps you've, you've thought before, man, it would be so cool to be an angel and to be in heaven and to be able to see the supernatural glory that is there. But no, the reality is that angels would trade places with us. What we have is better than what they have. And that perspective should shape our everyday lives with joy, even in the midst of suffering. And so in our passage this morning, Peter explains that the perspective that we should have as we endure the difficulties of this life. Sometimes when, when life throws us for a loop, our, our, our natural instinct is to look up and ask God, why? Why is this happening? Why are you testing my faith like this? Why did I lose my job? Why do I have to endure this illness? Why are my children so frustrating? Why are you allowing these people to hurt me or my family? And, and one of the answers that the New Testament offers us is that our faith is being strengthened and refined as we endure suffering with a theological perspective. Now, it's still not fun. It's still not a process that, that we're going to enjoy in any way. It doesn't mean that all of our individual questions are necessarily going to be answered in this life. But, but church, hear the word of God this morning, that the hardships of this life are going to be over before we know it. Soon much sooner than we're able to appreciate here in this moment, the Lord is going to make all things new. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And when that happens, we'll also find that through the trials we've experienced, the Lord has done a work in us. As I studied this week, I couldn't help thinking about the Apostle Paul, who, who said in his second letter to the Corinthians that this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And of course, later in that letter, he characterizes his ministry as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Right? Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We have to understand that it's not an either-or, it's both. Right, this world has the capacity to be either happy or sad based on the nature of their circumstances. But through the power of the Holy Spirit and the promises that God has given us in his word, Christians have a unique ability to rejoice even in the midst of grief. We've been given perspective to know that our hardships are never random. They are not purposeless. As we experience suffering, the Lord is at work in us and he is at work through us, and it's vital that we have that proper perspective so that we do not hinder that work. As we're going to see later in this letter, the way that we carry ourselves through suffering can either give credibility to the gospel in the eyes of this world, or it can take credibility away. Church, we know the full story, and we know that what we have to look forward to what God has prepared for us is far greater 
than what we are experiencing now, so much that it doesn't even compare. And so this morning, let's rejoice in the midst of our various trials as we keep our lives in proper perspective. Let's pray together.